A message from our sponsor, Pivot Lending Group, Littleton, Colorado. Pivot Lending Group provides a tailored mortgage lending experience with strong local builder and realtor relationships and customized loan services. We pivot to help you grow in your community and realize your personal home ownership goals. Visit us at pivotlending.com. Hello and welcome back to the Mortgage Hub here on the Pivot Podcast. Today I am joined by one of my a new friend who's become a pretty close friend, uh, one another amazing realtor here in in Phoenix, Mike LeCount. Mike, thank you for joining us, and I'd love you to please, if you could, introduce yourself. Hey, thanks, Tim. Thanks for having me. Um, I've been a licensed real estate agent here in Arizona for 18 years. Actually, licensed as a broker, but um, had a great past through uh, development and now uh, really enjoying uh, helping people buy and sell properties has, has been my passion. So started out with a, a background in law, you know, having a law degree has really helped me on the negotiation side and understanding leverage and understanding the contract in a way that's unique that a lot of, a lot of agents perhaps don't. So it's, it's been useful and it's definitely uh, given me a leg up. So it's been a fun journey and for the last 18 years and uh, definitely enjoying what I do on. Yeah. And, you know, I definitely want to dive into the negotiation part, given the market conditions that we're in here in Phoenix. This has been a seller's market to the nth degree for a little while here. Um, and there are certain buyers who I think are, are feeling some buyer fatigue because it's what's the definition of insanity, right? You're doing the same thing and expecting different results. Um, but we've had some really good conversations um, offline that, you know, I think your perspective and your background with your law degree gives you a, a huge advantage in this market. And I'd love for you to kind of dive into some of the tactics and things that you've done to help buyers get over the hump where you can in, in this crazy market. Yeah, well, you know, it's just strategy, strategy, right? I was talking to an agent last night, kind of giving her some pointers. She was having trouble with a specific buyer situation uh, that was FHA and down payment assistance. And we were just kind of talking through and she was looking for new listings and and stuff that she was going to have to compete on. And, you know, a lot of this stuff, you might think it's common sense and and it seems like common sense if you do it every day. Um, But, you know, it's, it's, um, you know, not everybody approaches things strategically the same way. So, um, you know, the first thing is if you're in a less competitive situation, you certainly want to have more of a blue ocean strategy. If you're familiar with that book, you want to move to a place where you're not having to compete and uh, not be, you know, in the middle of a 15 offer uh, seller situation where they're going to be able to select and choose who they want based on appraisal waivers and things like that, that your client may not be able to offer. So, um, you know, it's it's definitely knowing what your strengths are as a buyer or as a seller. Uh, and here we're talking about, you know, more as a buyer, because that's where the challenge is. As a seller, it's pretty straightforward in this market, uh, pretty, <laughs> pretty easy. But, um, you know, there's still quite a bit of what I'm listing at home. There's still quite a bit of strategy that goes into it. And why are we selecting one offer over the other? And, you know, what other risk factors are we looking at uh, with inspection, with appraisal, with, you know, seeing if if the buyer is really emotionally tied to the home versus something that's just a financial transaction for an investor. There's different risk factors there that 
that uh, you know my job as an agent is to adequately advise my clients on risks and, and rewards, but mainly risks because the rewards are self-evident, right? So I really want to get into you know, hey, here's here's one of the risks, potential risks of going this direction. And if they're well advised and they make that decision anyway, that's what we want. We want people making well advised decisions so that they can, uh, you know, get the result closest to what they're wanting. Let's go down the buyer path for a minute here first, right? Because obviously that's, that's, I deal with that way more than Really, I don't deal with sellers very much unless my buyer has a property to sell and we talk about what they're netting. But you mentioned some contingencies. Explain to the audience, if you could, what some of the contingencies are that we have here uh, that sellers and sellers agents are asking to get waived and what the impact of having it waived or not waived can be for a potential buyer. Yeah, so I'll start with the one that's that's most known, and, and that is a true contingent contract, one that is contingent on the either sale or sale and closing of an existing property, right, that the buyer has. So that's referred to as a contingent contract, and obviously there's a wide spectrum there. Um, you've got anything from, you know, hey, our home's not on the market yet, but we think we can sell it quick on one extreme to, uh, yeah, it's it's sold and it closes tomorrow on the other extreme. Well, that might technically be a contingency. They might have to use the contingency addendum because they can't close without the proceeds from that property. And so, you know, that that's fine. But obviously, my level of risk uh, is very different on one end of the spectrum than the other. So that's the first one that's known as a contingency. You've also got an appraisal contingency um, that's built into every contract. The appraisal contingency, of course, as you know, Tim, just means that uh, if that home does not appraise, the buyer has an out and they can opt to uh, renegotiate or exit the transaction at that time, or they can opt to come to some sort of uh, agreement uh, to move forward. And in this market, you're seeing a lot of buyers waiving the appraisal contingency and or giving some appraisal protection. So they will say, you know, let's say it's a $400,000 home, just to use a easy example, and if it's, you know, if they're offering 415,000, they might say, you know, hey, we are, um, we are willing to pay up to 15,000 over the appraised value not to exceed 415,000. So that might be some contractual language that they use just to give some guarantee there. That way, if the appraisal comes in a little light, it's not enough to blow up the deal and they're willing to cover the shortfall. Now, obviously, why would a buyer ever want to do that? Why would you want to buy a home that doesn't appraise? Well, it's always in a competitive situation and it's always because they want the home. And so I've got a buyer right now that I'm working with and we went through a home and I said, you know, what do you think? What, what would you give it on a scale of one to 10? She said, you know, it checks all the boxes. It's a seven. Well, we're not going to get real aggressive after a seven, right? Uh, if it was a nine and she's head over heels for it, you know, Maybe she's willing to do some things that she's not willing to do for a seven. And so, you know, it, it definitely matters, especially, especially with waiving appraisal uh, on the buyer's ability to do so. Uh, funds to close as a seller's agent. I'm making sure that they're not just saying that and they don't have the funds to actually cover it. Right. Because sure, I'll give you a million dollars. That's, that's right. That's right. I mean, you can <laughs> say that all day long, but if you're not verifying the funds yeah. as a seller's agent, you're really not doing your job protecting your client. So, but again, back on the buyer's side, you've also got inspection contingencies. So the buyer has 
Uh, typically in Arizona, it's a 10-day inspection window. That is in some cases negotiated down to seven or five or or no window at all I've even seen. I'm not comfortable with that as an agent, but uh, and I would certainly advise a buyer against it, but uh, that does happen. Yeah, no, it's 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 just such an interesting time, you know, the amount of leverage that's on the seller side that they have because it's I think you I think you were the one who sent me that little meme of the toy house that said it's listed yeah. for $300. Like I mean, it's 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 just insane out here. Uh Housing Wire, shout out to Housing Wire, who's a a great provider of industry news published a little article yesterday that said 580 homes in the Seattle market have sold 300,000 above asking price. I mean, that is, think about that gap there. Yeah. I mean, that is, uh, they're, now their median price is a little bit higher than here, but that's that's close to 40% above their median price. I mean, that is, how do you, you know, buyers are sitting there asking, most buyers are sitting there asking, how do I compete in this market? And that's, that's really kind of where, you know, working with the right people and working, you know, obviously you've got to have the ability to perform on whatever you're asking for. And by that, I mean, you, you know, if you're using financing, you've got to have your, your ducks in a row as far as down payment, credit, income, et cetera. But working with the right people who can help negotiate on the other side, and you're you're one of the most tactful people I've talked to about you know your approach, and I, I definitely think your your law degree background uh, is a big part of that. <laughs> yeah, it's you know it's funny it's 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 three years of negotiation training, right? I mean, it's really it's a yeah. pretty intensive. Uh, I mean, you can go to a three hour class and get some letters behind your name, but you know, three years of understanding leverage and understanding different complex situations and how to navigate them. And so, yeah, it's, it's been a, it's definitely been an asset. The other thing that we've talked about too, is the disc profiles, which I, you know, I'd heard of and, but never really got into. First of all, explain what that is and how much are you applying that to the clients that you're taking on and how you're negotiating with other agents based on your information of that? Yeah, so the DISC is a behavioral profile. It's a way of understanding ourselves and others in relation to us, right? Because you know, you the way you perceive people certainly is is colored by the the lens that you're uh, that you're looking through. So, um, you know, it, it's it's hard to describe in an audio format, you know, without some visuals and charts and graphs and things to show. But, um, you know, basically <laughs> it, it's a way of understanding people and what their natural tendencies are and, and really where they're most comfortable. Sure. And so, um, you know, I was really fortunate. I worked with a, a, a large developer that um, was very into the disc. And uh, the more I studied it, the more learned about it, the more I got into it. And then at one point I was, I was, uh, able to get uh, some training. I was talking to them about, you know, training the sales team on it and, and using it for our, uh, you know, hiring decisions and onboarding. And because uh, we had over 120 agents across the country and we were always trying to bring on the right people that were the right fit, both for the organization and, and for the team. And uh, so anyway, they sent me to some training and, uh, uh, you know, I was able to fly around the country and train teams on team building and, uh, you know, training hiring managers on how to look at this assessment and 
you know, sort of better understand who's sitting across the desk from them in an interview situation where everybody's trying to say the right thing. Everybody's trying to put on, you know, whatever mask they think you're, you're wanting to find as an employer. And so, you know, being able to get through that and better understand if, if the person sitting across from you speaking is, is correlating and, and making sense with what you see on the assessment. And obviously, if not, it's a warning sign um, that, that you may not be seeing the, the true person there. They, they might be, uh, <laughs> you know, sort of acting for the interview. But, um, but yeah, it's, it's great stuff. And I use it every day. I, in fact, I use it. Yeah. I use it just subconsciously because well, it's, it's so we, much. We've, t- we've talked about it. Yeah. It, we've talked about it. And tr- let, let's just be transparent here. You uh, you made me take the test. I sent yep, it to you. Yep. Feel free to throw me under the bus. What, <laughs> what did you see? Oh, it's a problem, man. You've got a problem. No, no. It's, <laughs> you know, the, the great thing about it, it's so funny. And we, we even had some some agents that were maybe trying to give a result and trick the test into uh, you know, what they thought their, their manager was wanting them to be. And they thought that they were more likely to get promoted if they gave off a certain look. And the thing about it is Mm -hmm. if you know people and you know, the assessment, you know, that it wasn't accurate, right? You, you've, you've interacted with them, you've worked with them closely. And so, you know, you really, you can, you can lie to yourself, (laughs) you know, but, but nobody else is fooled. And, uh, you know, so anyway, it's, it's very useful. I use it in every interaction that I have just because it's become a part of how I interact with people and understand who I'm talking with and what they want, what's going to make them more comfortable. Because ultimately, I mean, as, as real estate professionals, that's our job, right? We're, we're going to make people more comfortable on the other side of the transaction. That's going to make them more likely to do business with us. I mean, that's the number one thing, all the negotiation strategies. Um, you know, a lot of it comes down to, and, and I, I think you've been in some rooms with me with Chris Voss, you know, the hostage negotiation, uh, guy from the, from the FBI, just incredible guy. But when he talks about it, the number one thing to negotiation really is building that rapport and trust. Because if you don't have that, you, you've got nothing. And it's still yeah. amazing to me. That's, it's gotta be the benchmark for sure. It, it is. It is. It's still amazing to me how many people miss that. You know, I, I put a listing up and I get eight offers and two or three of them didn't even call me. They didn't even make an attempt to get to know what the seller really wants. They didn't make an attempt to build a relationship. They didn't make an attempt to get something out of me that could be useful to their client. Yeah, and I think, you know, to be fair, right, I think sometimes uh, we all know that uh, we've come to a period here where there are more people with your type of license and there are homes on the market. Um, And so some of it is just a a lack of experience and, and just, you know, they just haven't honed in on their craft quite yet. Sure. Um, And still see this as a transactional thing. Whereas, you know, people like you and I understand this is really about the relationships and building those relationships. And, you know, first thing I ever learned in this business was treat people like you want to be treated. You never know when you're going to need to deal with them again. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's so true, right? I mean, you know, un- un- unfortunately, I think sometimes because of the market conditions and you're either trying to make the best impression or be first or the most aggressive 
there there can be a loss of building that rapport with someone like you who would truly appreciate it and then would turn around and say, listen, I think this agent was easy to deal with. You know, we we had rapport. He took time to go through what's going on with his client, why, you know, they should be someone that's considered. And that goes a long way because mm-hmm. on the other side of it, as a listing agent, as someone who's selling a property, you know, you have your fiduciary responsibility to that seller. And and part of that, you you can only do with what the information that's given to you by the people who are presenting you offers and the ones who take time to try to get to know you and try to understand what you're looking for and how to how to make this deal work. Those are the ones that are gonna gonna win in this market and have have good long term success. Would you agree with that assessment? Did I pass your disc profile there? No, no question. <laughs> you know, the only thing that I would extend from there is with the disc profile. Yeah. They talk about you know the golden rule is treating people the way you'd want to be treated, but the platinum rule, a step above, is treating people the way they would want to be treated. So we all have our own paradigm on what we think is right, but if you can take that next step and get past what you would want and really truly understand what they would want and give them what they would want, you're you're obviously providing an even higher level of service. With your knowledge and understanding of the disc, right? We've also talked about sometimes about letting go of clients or as a friend of mine likes to say, making them available to the market (laughs) because of your, your, your background. Do you feel like that makes you more understanding of just how to work with people and you have less times where you feel like you have to make somebody available to the market or when you come up against someone who you know just doesn't mesh with who you are you just refer that out take a step back and just know that no matter how much you you try that relationship may not work yeah no it's definitely it's definitely the former i mean the the training helps you understand how to interact more successfully with with people that are different than you and so it's not to say there aren't a very small percentage of people that um you know you might close a transaction and think you know what i'm I'm really not going to follow up with that person for referrals i'm really not going to try to get their future <laughs> business you know that was that was not worth the hassle that it was that, but that's, that's a really small percentage of the time, the vast majority, 98, 99% of the time, I think you can manage the relationship effectively by truly understanding that other person who, who, what it is that they want, who they are and what's important to them. And so, um, I've been, I've been fortunate over the years and, and, uh, had a lot of great clients and, um, you know, it, it makes the job fun, right? I mean, you, you could do this without it feeling rewarding, but it wouldn't be nearly as great. That's the thing is, you know, I talk to a lot of people on the lending side, in sales in general, let's just say, right? And, you know, the, the ones who approach it solely from a self-serving aspect are, are always the ones who are in the worst mood. <laughs> right, right. You know, Absolutely. the ones who think the, – the ones who think bigger than themselves – they're, they're just so much easier to deal with because, you know, they have their why for, you know, personal reasons, but they also pick their head up and see other ways that they can make impact, whether it's with their family, their friends, the community, et cetera. You know, and I definitely operate from that place. I think, you know, I'm, I'm involved in, in, a, in a few different, you know, charitable organizations and I try to support others that that take time to do that because I know 
what it's like for me to take time away from work, family, and everything else that's going on in life to go and support other other uh, ventures like that. And so when I know somebody's committed to those things, I definitely always try to support them because at, at the at the end of the day, if all I do is close mortgages, I've I've failed. <laughs> right. There's so much more out there, to, th- ways to be impactful. We're we're extremely fortunate that the industry we're in, we we make good money, and that we can utilize that for good to make other impacts outside of just ourselves, right? And so, and, and Tim, you're you're the outlier. I mean, you're you're one of the most charitable lenders <laughs> I've met, and so, and, and from the time we met, you were driven by that, and I, I I could just tell. I mean, it rings through in your sincerity, and you know, your support of State Forty Eight, and really a number of organizations. Um, but but it's impressive, and and that's what that's what people like. That's who people want to deal with. They want to deal with people that are giving back yeah. to the community, and and you know being being stewards of those resources in a way that's you know not just completely self-serving but is helpful to others and so you're right we're we're very fortunate and i really appreciate all that you do for the community i would be remiss without mentioning a few people who really kind of made me see things truly in a different light which uh, Mabel Guzman and Joe Kenny, who I've seen Joe Kenny on Clubhouse a couple times. I've tried to get him up on stage and I haven't been successful. But uh, and 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 so with them back in Chicago, we used to get up early on Saturdays and I'd help them cook meals for the homeless. Mm-hmm. Um, and and Mabel had sent something to me one time, and I think she was president of NAR or something. She's she's well into that side of things. She's an amazing woman, and. One of the people that uh, I do miss being in Chicago to be able to have conversations with as frequently. But and so, you know, she would say, listen, everybody wants to go down and put the food on the plate. Right. But nobody sees the back end work it takes to get the food collected, cook it, make it edible. Um, And she's like, that's what I want to focus on. Anybody else can go. There's there's more volunteers than we need to go and and be in that photo op, so to speak. And I'm using, right, you know, right. and all with good intentions. I, I'm not sure. Saying, I don't sure. want it to be sounding that way, but she really drove home a, a point of getting involved as behind the scenes as you can, where, where it really matters where it starts, not at the finish line, so to speak. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and people can tell, right. They can tell, you know, when I'm dealing with a client, they can tell that I sincerely want what's best for them that I'm not just there to, to get a commission. And it's little things. It's when you tell them, I don't like this home. You know, this home's got a lot of problems. I see this, I see that. And, you know, it's amazing how people are shocked by that. You know, it's, it's like, it's a foreign concept, but it should be the standard, right? I mean, that, that should be, it should be what all professionals are doing, but no, I, I appreciate that about you, Tim. One of my sales managers used to tell me all the time uh, when I when I sold furniture, uh, I'd be like, man, I think they would have bought that furniture or whatever. He'd be talking to a salesperson or he'd be talking to a customer. And, he, and at the end of it, he'd always say, Tim, there's nothing in life like honesty. They're not going to buy. This isn't right for them. We'll, we'll help the next one. You know, and yeah, like, yeah. he would say that all the time. And when I was it was 18, 19. I didn't really know. I was just trying to make some money. And, and, and I learned from that, you know, a, a ton of value of just 
you know, not sugarcoating, just being honest with people and just laying it out. People people can handle the truth. They might not always like the answer you give right. them, but right. I think they respect you a ton more for being honest with them. When people are smarter than you think, right? People are picking up on more than you think. We've all been in a situation where somebody, a salesperson or somebody has said something that you just kind of shake your head and think, look, if you really think I'm gullible enough to buy that, you know? Um, so <laughs> I think it's important to just treat everybody, you know, keep that in mind. You know, um, I remember being a kid and picking up on things that adults didn't think I was picking up on. And it just kind of emblazons in the back of your mind, like, hey, don't, don't make that mistake. Don't underestimate people, you know, H- have the right intention and, and you'll be fine. Well, listen, I, I know we're, we're starting to run out of time here and I do want to make sure, uh, first of all, I appreciate the conversation. I always love chatting with you, but let, let's, let's talk about some market specifics here in Phoenix. Um, what, what's the current inventory levels that, that are there? What do you see going on here locally over the next six, 12, 18 months? And it, has anything happened yet that you're surprised by over the first half of this year? Not, not, not really. Um, you know, the first half of this year, as things were growing stronger and stronger into the seller's market, the thought was always, you know, most economists are saying, hey, as prices go up, more inventory comes on the market because the person not willing to sell at 700 is willing to sell at 750. And so when you get there, of course, more inventory comes on the market and that's how markets balance and that equilibrium is, is regained. You know, if anything, this has been gone on stronger and longer um, th- than I think yeah. most would have projected, certainly a year and a half ago uh, or, uh, you know, right at the start of, uh, of uh, COVID. Yeah, but- we've talked about that. We were, we were all scratching our head April of last year, like what's going to happen? And now yeah. here we are. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, it's, it's been obviously a very strong market and, uh, you know, we're grateful for that. The market is softening and it's softening ever so slightly. You know, it's still going to be a strong seller's market. Uh, real estate markets move very slowly. We are seeing softening. We are seeing fewer offers on properties, but you know, the difference between 15 offers and five isn't necessarily a difference. Um, as long as those five offers yeah. are, are relatively strong. So, I think that's what we're going to continue to see. I mean, obviously, I try to avoid making the mistake of having my own opinions. I find people that are smarter than me and I adopt their opinions, right? So I always want to find that, you know, that analyst, that economist, that the narrative makes sense. What they're saying makes sense. It resonates um, with what I'm seeing in the, in the market. And, uh, you know, I'm going to follow kind of their lead and, um, from that, you know, it looks like things are going to continue to get closer and closer to a balanced market you know, over the next year or two. I don't know if we reach a balanced market. I don't know if we go past. Uh, that's, that's crystal ball stuff, and I always try to stay out of that. But, um, but anyway, that's what I see coming in the foreseeable future. Check your back pocket for the crystal ball. It might be there. <laughs> you never know, right? <laughs> I'll keep checking. Yeah. Real quick uh, on the market perspective, right? I mean, so I think everybody agrees it's stronger than we maybe thought it would be at this point. Arizona, especially, you know, one, we didn't do a whole lot of shutdown. We were still allowed to do open houses. It w- We weren't as uh, 
lockdown, right? I don't mm -hmm. know the right way to say that. Sure, um, sure. But there, there was a lot of business as, as usual. And so my question is, how much do you think we absorbed from those other states because of that, that maybe people look back and say, hmm, the summers aren't what I thought they would be. How much buyer's remorse do you think is out there for people who made decisions, you know, through this pandemic that I think just felt the need to vacate where they were and, and start somewhere else? You know, I haven't heard that. You know, most of the people that I've talked to that are vacating, it, it was sort of a straw that broke the camel's back. It wasn't, it, you know, it wasn't this huge new idea. It was something they'd been considering for years. And uh, this was mm. just, it made it the right time. So, you know, I've got a small sample size just in, in, in my, my clients and my sphere of people that I talk to. But, you know, I, I think, look, we've got great secular trends in Arizona. We've got great job growth, which leads to great population growth. Uh, we, we're still relatively affordable when you look at, at other, you know, temperate markets. We've got great weather eight months out of the year. Obviously, pay for it a little bit in the summer, but um, but it's <laughs> it's um, you know the bottom line is we have people coming here that are relocating for jobs. We have people that are coming here and buying a second home that don't need employment, and so there's there's so many great growth trends that kind of compound on each other to make you know Arizona and the Phoenix Metro a really strong place. And I also serve the Prescott Metro. You know, I, I uh, had some clients that needed my help up there a couple of years ago. And so I, I've really enjoyed that market as well. Um, but, you know, it's these are all growth trends that aren't changing, right? No matter what goes on in the economy, no matter what happens, there are advantages that we have over other states from a growth standpoint, from a weather standpoint. So, you know, we're in a good place. I think you referred to it one time as proximity. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> sure. And we we won't we won't throw any of our neighbors under the bus, but I, I understand what you mean by that. In in comparison to some other states, Arizona is a great place to live. I'm a transplant. I like to say I'm an adopted son. I I tell people all the time, it's I love living here. Yes, it's hot in the summer, and and if I'm being honest, your 15 offers to five is probably because. Most of the population is now able to go over to San Diego like they normally do every right, summer. Right. Um, you know, but it's just such an easy place to live. I mean, growing up in the Midwest, uh, in the Chicago area, you know, winters are, are brutal. The summers, the summers can be taxing, but they're nowhere near as brutal as those winters. And, and the best part of living here, in my opinion, is proximity to places you can escape to, whether it's another state up north. Uh, even Mexico, you know, down in a lot of people I know go down to Rocky Point and Tijuana and all those places. So, you know, there's just a lot of good places you can get off to uh, for vacation uh, to break up the summer heat. You know, when you're stuck in Chicago in the winter, there's unless you're getting on a plane and, and doing a full bore, you know, travel plan. It's hard to get out of that that uh, that weather. There's nowhere that's driving distance. Absolutely. Whereas here, everything is everything is pretty much driving distance. Absolutely. Yeah. Two hours to the slopes in yeah. Flagstaff, four hours to Vegas, yeah. four hours to Rocky Point, five hours to San Diego. There's a lot of uh, geographical diversity here. And you can you can get to a different climate very quickly. 
And that's, that's not true where I'm from in the Midwest. So someone, someone was saying, you know, it's one of the few places you can water ski in the morning and snowboard at night. That's right. That's, that's exactly right. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm from <laughs> Kansas and, and you know, Tim, it, it, it's just, you'd be driving for, for days, uh, to get to a different climate. It's, yeah. it's, it's a very different thing in the Midwest. And, and, you know, the fact that 75% of us are not from Arizona, I think I've always found, I've been here 18 years, makes for a very friendly environment. Um, you know, there, there's sort of a, hey, we all found this place later on. And, you know, it, there's sort of a communal feeling of, you know, friendliness that, that um, and welcoming, being welcoming to newcomers um, because yeah. there's not this feeling that, you know, hey, this is, this is, uh, this is my place and mine alone. Right. So people seem to be much more open and understanding. And I think that that helps as well. Well, listen, we're, we're winding down here. I appreciate you joining me. Before we go, I do want to give you the opportunity. Please let, let people know how they can reach you if they'd, they'd like to connect with you about real estate here in Arizona. Yeah, the best way is always my cell phone. You know, I always tell people I get five to 700 emails a day. So, um, you know, I get through them. But, but uh, the quickest way, my cell phone is 480-907-4049 and call, text, whatever works best for you. If I'm with a client or tied up, I'll, I'll get back to you as soon as I can. Uh, certainly some days are much busier than others, but, uh, yeah, thanks for having me, Tim. Really enjoyed chatting with you as always. And, uh, it's been a pleasure. Yeah. Give that phone number one more time. Yeah. It's 480-907-4049. Awesome. Well, Mike, I appreciate you joining me, man. I'm, I'm so glad that we stumbled upon each other. We've gotten to know each other a little bit. and it's, We've had some really good conversations. I appreciate you joining me today. And um, I will definitely have to have you back again and, and talk more Arizona real estate because you break it down very well. And, and I just appreciate the knowledge that's in that brain of yours because you're an outside the box thinker, but you're so well educated on, on what's going on in the market. So it's always great to have these conversations with you. Well, thanks, Tim. I appreciate you as well. And when I've got mortgage questions, it's good to have smart people to come to that can break it down like you can. So thank you. All right. We're, we're going to wrap up here on the Mortgage Hub on the Pivot Podcast, and we will see you next time. Have a good day. This episode was brought to you by Pivot Lending Group, NMLS 10995. Copyright 2021 Pivot, all rights reserved. Financial Funding Solutions Incorporated, DBA Pivot Lending Group. 10397 West Centennial Road, Littleton, Colorado 80127. Pivot does business in accordance with the Fair Housing Law and Equal Credit Opportunity Act. Pivot Lending is regulated by the Division of Real Estate, Colorado. To learn more or find a full listing of our state licensing, visit pivotlending.com or nmlsconsumeraccess.org.